While visiting his son in Chicago, Samuel Schultz calls his wife. He and his son, Paul, are at the doctor's office with Paul's wife, Ruth. Samuel asks his wife to call the prayer chain at church for Ruth. Ruth is 23 years old, and she is six months into her first pregnancy. Today, she has been diagnosed with advanced gastric cancer, stomach cancer. The pastor reports that her, churches, her chances for survival are not good. They're airlifting her to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, he says. And he tells her the baby's birth will be induced in a day or so, and the child will be rushed to the neonatal unit where I will baptize it. The baby's name will be Luke. Once the baby is born, new mother Ruth will begin aggressive treatment for her cancer, undergoing radiation and chemotherapy. That night, Samuel writes in his journal, this is a nightmare, but we are not waking up from it. He then adds these words, though, quoting a verse from the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 15 that he remembered from a Bible study the week before at church. The words of the Canaanite woman who came to Jesus begging for help for a sick daughter. So he ends his journal entry with, Lord, help me. This is the kind of news that tears your heart apart, even if you're not the one living it and going through it. But it also touches your heart deeply to see the faith in the Lord's goodness that God has given to the Schultz family. Lord, help me. The question is, will he? Will the Lord help this man and his son and daughter-in-law and the newborn baby? And what will that help look like? These are the kinds of questions raised today as we consider the Holy Gospel for today, a portion of Mark chapter 1, in which Jesus goes out healing and helping lots and lots of people. It says, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases. Okay, that's good news for the people back then in the first century, those who actually saw the Lord, and he healed many. The story is nice, but we're still wondering inside, will he heal me? Will he heal us? So does Jesus only do these things for his friends or his family? No, I don't think so. That's not exactly what the text says, because lots of other people get healed as well. Mark continues, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many, many demons. So Jesus seems to be healing all sorts of people with all sorts of problems, all sorts of illnesses, rather indiscriminately. Not just friends, not just fevers, not just mothers-in-law who can get up and bring you a nice cup of tea and some cookies. No. Jesus looked to be healing the business looked to be healing in the ah, Jesus looked to be in the healing business back then and really heavily into it. That was then, and this is now. So what about us? What about Ruth? What about her baby? Don't our needs count as well? There's no lack of sick people in the world today in the middle of a pandemic. But there are plenty of people who are suffering 
lonely, mentally ill, and hurting in many, many different ways. And I bet we could find enough hurting people who would appreciate a healing touch. Oh, I know what it is. It must be our lack of faith. If only we would believe harder, then we would get a healing. If, if maybe there's some sin that, that I didn't confess last week or something bad, and then, then bad karmas come around. Maybe I've got to be better in order to earn that healing and, and, and win God's favor. Maybe he's punishing me with this illness. These are high-pressure techniques often used by charlatans, faith healers, where they, build it, where they built in ready-made excuses of why they can't produce healings for all the poor souls who they're fleecing. The question remains, did Jesus go out of the healing business then? Why the favoritism for some folks in the first century? Has Jesus lost his touch? Well, of course not. Okay, so what about the young mother with the stomach cancer? What about the old man in hospice? Or even the middle-aged man with the creaky joints and the bad eyesight? Can't Jesus muster up some miracles for his followers today? What happened to his healings? Let's look closely at this. When we read and hear of these miracles in the Bible, we always focus on the healing, but we forget that all these people who were healed back in the first century, century eventually died. Peter's mother-in-law didn't live forever. She eventually died. Even Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, eventually died again. Jesus healed them, yes. But then they all went on to live a life and died later. The healing was only temporary. It was only in the moment in time. It was only at this time that Jesus was present. And likewise, likewise were we to be healed today, it would be only temporary for us as well. The fact is, we will all die of something. So what was the purpose of Jesus healing these people? What was the point if it was only temporary? And if it was only for a few years during his public ministry? And only for a few folks in Galilee? The point is, is that this, as we've gone through the last six weeks, is epiphany season in the church. And it's the time when we read in scripture how the Lord is revealing his authority and his power as light to the world. He is declaring, revealing what would be the ultimate outcome of Jesus coming among us. The healings were a flash of light during Epiphany. They were sneak previews of the healing that was permanent that was to come when he ushers in his kingdom. In other words, the purpose of Jesus' birth and mission will result in complete healing and wholeness forever. Nothing will be temporary about it. Eternal healing, that is what we're headed for. And by his authority and power, he is going to do it. And he walks around Galilee, healing, preaching, teaching, casting out demons. There is a place he's leading the followers to. There's a destination he has in his purpose. And when he gets there and does what he came to do, then that is going to issue forth complete and total restoration for all those who trust in him. And you know that's his death in resurrection that is down the road. That's you. That's me. 
That's the young mother with the stomach cancer, the old man in hospice who's taking it a day at a time. All these afflictions and ailments that we suffer, the sicknesses and the sorrows, they all have one cause and they all have one cure. The cause is sin and the cure is Christ. I do not mean that a particular sickness is caused by a particular sin. Rather, all sicknesses, all death is the result of our broken nature and relationship with God, our creator. Being born in sin, we are in a sick, broken condition from the start. We go from bad to worse, if you will, from temporary life to death. In addition to being born this way, our present life and what we do in it strays from the way God originally created us. We live against God, trusting ourselves and our possessions rather than him, and we reap the brokenness and the consequences and the curse that our race of sinners has fallen under. So Christ walking around in the Galilean countryside and healing people is showing his compassion the same way that he stopped the storm in the sea. He controls and has authority over nature. He has the power and authority to raise from the dead. He has the power and authority to heal. And all this is pointing down the line because he is the one that God sent his only son to do that and reveal that God's son can overturn what has been the brokenness of mankind. So Christ came to deal with the root causes that produces all the bad results. And the only way for the root of sin to be dealt with is precisely what Jesus did. The Son of God came as our brother, keeping Christ's, keeping God's law in our stead. Jesus Christ is the only one who has earned God's favor by his works, and because of God's power and authority, has overturned death with life. To deal with our sins, Jesus had to take it upon himself and create us anew, paying the price for our sins on the cross. God's own son won forgiveness for everyone. He alone can cure. Even Ruth, even Samuel, Paul, you, and me. So when you are sick, when you are suffering, it's not God that punishes you. The punishment Christ already suffered in your place. But while your soul is eternal, your body must go. It is of this world, corrupt, not whole, lacking, broken. It's a part of this earthly creation that has gone awry. Your new life in Christ, however, is just that. It's new. It's not possessing any of the old. And it begins with you and your soul. What we will be is yet to be seen bodily. It is hidden in Christ. It is hidden in his resurrection, which will be seen only when he returns at the end of time. So while we are here on this earth, in our bodies, God is doing another work in your life and in my life. He is drawing you and me closer to him, inviting you to take refuge in his infinite and intimate mercy as you live your life out here. Your heavenly father is holding you in his loving arms, enfolding you in his loving embrace. This is the time to be reassured of his goodness. This is the time that we see that light. This is the time when he reveals himself to us, points us to the cross, 
where he died and he rose for you and that your eternal future is secure. So Jesus is still in the healing business, if you will. It's not like he's lost his touch. The healings he did long ago were to reveal, like a light reveals what is in the darkness, that this is what is in store for all of us and with no expiration date on it. And as he healed our salvation and eternal life, free of all illness, suffering, and death with his own resurrection, he destroyed Satan's earthly power against that creation, against us. And we wait for Christ's return in authority and power and glory, where healing and life are not temporary, but eternal. That day of his coming when Satan is revealed for who he is, and Christ is crowned victorious over all. Well, what's our takeaway from all of this? As we walk here on this earth in faith, even now our Lord Jesus has touched you. Forgiving your sins and claiming your body as included in his healing. Until he comes again, we wait in hope. And this hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is waiting for the final fulfillment of what we know and believe to be true. It is, as Paul says, the surety of our faith. We are guaranteed of this triumph in the gifts that he has given us, strengthened our faith, and remind us over and over again that we are sealed in this triumphal victory of Christ. Where can you find that guarantee? Where do you find this medicine now? In the sure and certain means that God has provided in his word, in baptism, and the Lord's Supper. These are the things you can count on. They come from God. They have his promise attached. In baptism and the Lord's Supper, you are set apart and you're reserved for healing and eternal life. In baptism and the Lord's Supper, God shows you that he has redeemed your bodies, not just your souls. He has the authority and power to clean you with water and the word, claim you with his body and blood, and clothe you with the righteousness and the Holy Spirit. Think about it. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Think about how they come in contact with your body. God has chosen that through baptism and the Lord's Supper. He physically touches you and verbally declares you forgiven and healed in the same way the hands and words of his son, our Redeemer, our Lord Jesus Christ, touched and healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. All those demon-possessed that were at the door. All those who were lined up. These sacraments are the visible healing words of Christ applied to your physical body. I mean, take a look. What happens in baptism, for example, the water comes in contact with you as the word of God is spoken. Hannah, Sarah, George, John, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. God is claiming your whole person body, and soul to be his beloved child forever. Likewise, at life's end in a funeral service, we remember the Christian's baptism as we lay that body to rest. Having been buried with Christ by baptism into death, as Paul says in Romans 6, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Here's the guarantee. And Christ's resurrection is a physical, bodily resurrection. We confess the resurrection of the body, and holy baptism bestows God's pledge to raise us up bodily, whole, and sound. Luther explains it like this in the large catechism. 
I am baptized, and if I am baptized, it is promised to me that I shall be saved and have eternal life, both in soul and body. For that is the reason why these two things are done in baptism. The body, which can grasp nothing else but the water, is sprinkled or immersed. And in addition, the word is spoken for the soul to grasp. Now, since both the body, the word, and the water make one baptism, therefore the body and soul is saved and lived forever. Take a look at the Lord's Supper. By Christ's command, in, with, and under bread and wine, Christ's body and blood touches and enters your mouth and dwells in you. You drink his blood, the wine. You eat his body, the bread. Another physical, tangible means of grace. Another way God is telling you that he will heal your body. The earthly church fathers recognized this. Saint Ignatius, living in the first 100 years, called the sacrament the medicine of immortality, the antidote against dying, that we shall live forever in Christ Jesus. Again, Luther picks up on the physical nature of the sacrament as well, praising the bodily benefit of the Lord's Supper. He says it will cure you and give you life both in soul and in body. For where the soul has recovered, the body also is relieved. Luther teaches the biblical understanding of God's authority and power in the Lord's Supper in this way, too. When I partake of the Lord's Supper, Christ's blood, according to his word, his body and blood, Christ himself, lives eternally in me. For Christ cannot die, nor can he see destruction, nor can he be eliminated. It is this Christ, whose body and blood reside in me, that will raise me up on the last day unto salvation and everlasting life. God is committed to healing your body, all of which will be whole, perfect, and lacking nothing when our Savior Christ comes again. Your old bones will be made new, no longer subject to disease or decay or death, just like the Apostle John writes in his first letter, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that whenever it is revealed, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. For right now, for right now, if you are faced with a devastating illness in the family, the nightmare is very real. It doesn't go away when you wake up in the morning. You rightly cry out, Lord, help me. And we pray that the Lord will, in his mercy, grant healing to the sick, even here in this life. And sometimes the Lord does this healing. He does it through doctors. He does it miraculously at times. But should that not be the case, should the physical healing not come, we know that the Lord has something even better in store for us. Something not temporary, but permanent. There will come a morning when we will wake up from the nightmare and the pain will be no more. The resurrection of your own body from the dead is a foreshadowing is foreshadowed by his own resurrection from the dead. This is our sure hope. This is what we are looking forward to. This is what all those healings in Jesus' ministry were pointing ahead to, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Jesus is still in the healing business. He's doing it here today among us every time we read his word and receive the Lord's Supper or baptism.
total forgiveness, total healing for sick and dying sinners, complete wholeness in body, soul, and spirit begun now and completed at Christ's second coming. The Gospel of Mark says, and he healed many. And he has healed, and he will heal all of us too. Young mother, old man, daughter-in-law, mothers-in-law, there is healing, real, final, forever healing for all who are in Christ. Look to the cross where Christ forgave your sins. Look to your baptism in Christ, the pledge of your resurrection. Look to the Lord's Supper where Jesus grants you your full and final healing. Amen. Let us confess our faith.